Welcome. You are listening to The Spiritual Exercises. I'm Rachel Amaday. So happy to be here with you today on this beautiful Monday. I hope you all are well. I hope you all are experience, experiencing the true peace of the Lord today because, boy, do we need that wholeness from our Lord and Savior. The enemy is seemed to be very, very adept at fracturing his people, at breaking pieces off, at keeping us in cages, keeping us in thought processes and mindsets that are keeping us from being unified with other believers and definitely depleting our energy as well as the power of our ministries. And today the theme is life is too short. You know, I I got to have a really restorative time with some folks this last week, and and that's one of the themes that came out of it. Life is too short for certain behaviors and activities, especially coming out of the church. Now, I want to be a little careful as I dig into some of these topics today and just share with you straight up, up front. I attend churches and are friends with believers who have some of these viewpoints that I think life is too short to be promoting. And guess what? That's okay. You know, the truth is that life is too short for us to be infighting about so many different things. I I have found there are so many churches who have believers infighting about doctrines left and right all the time. Now, there's some doctrines that are worth promoting. Those are not the doctrines I'm going to be talking about today, but there are some things that are worth promoting, that are worth discussion, that need to be handled boldly in the church. There are some things that we just can't back down from, and we cannot allow those dangerous ideas into our congregations to be promoted. And then there are some things that we just need to stop promoting from the pulpit, in my opinion. We, we need to pull back from. And some of these on this list might surprise you, but I'm going to happily explain to you why I believe this about some of these doctrines and how some of these doctrines are very, very detrimental to the, to the church, in my opinion. First and foremost, though, something that life is too short for, and I am finding it deeply rooted in many people, that we just have to, you have to, as a believer, just decide today, you are going to uproot this out of your life, you're going to kick it out of your heart from your mindset, you're going to throw it as far as you can from you, and you're going to ask the Lord's help in this, and that is roots of bitterness and unforgiveness. Life is too short for this, my friends. It is going to eat you alive if you hold on to those things. And if you're unable to have restorative relationships, places where, yes, you're going to have to forgive people. If you let people close, they're going to mess up. You're going to have to find forgiveness. But the big piece of this that I think is so dangerous is that unforgiveness can become bitterness. And bitterness actually opens the door in your life to spiritual activity that you don't want. You don't want this stuff in your life. You don't want this oppression because that bitterness and unforgiveness, it only ends up hurting you. And listen, so many of us have been hurt 
by the church. We have been, and we can hold that bitterness and resentment against every single congregation, every single denomination. We can we can hold that against the church and actually pull away from our God-given call to minister to other believers because of how much we've been hurt by the church. Friends, we need to remember that other people in the church are also human beings. They will let you down. Your pastor is not perfect. He will let you down. In fact, your pastor probably teaches some things that aren't even true. And I hate to say this, but I've studied the Bible enough now to know there's hardly a church that exists on the planet, in my opinion, where some of the pastor's teachings haven't been wrong, biblically inaccurate, or frankly dangerous to a spiritual person's life. And yet we forgive them. We're called to that. We are called to understanding not a one of us has 100% perfect doctrine. Not a one of us can claim a perfection before the Lord. And if we could, then we would be gods. But we're not. We're people. The church is probably going to hurt you at one time or another. Now, some hurts are more egregious than others. Some things you can forgive, but you don't have to forget. And I would say, yes, find yourself a good Bible-believing, doctrinally sound church to attend. Find those teachers that are teaching righteousness in love, that are standing for truth while also not causing damage that is unnecessary in the process. This is very difficult to find. This is hard. But one thing I know for a fact is Yeshua prayed for our unity as believers. And these divisions, these unforgivenesses, this bitterness, this is the hand of the enemy. This is not going to benefit you in the long run. So the very first thing that we need to understand life is too short for, life is too short for bitterness and unforgiveness. You are a child of the most high God. You are called to a very high calling. You are called to be a servant while you live on this earth, while you're being tested in this time frame. You're supposed to serve others. And that means you serve them and you submit to them as Christ did, as Christ does. You know, he has done everything to run after you, to chase after you, to show you his love for you. Now we have to turn around and do the same for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And even though it's very difficult at times, it is our call. It will make you a better person. That divine forgiveness is one of the most heavenly things you can do while you're on the earth. So today... Today's the day. You don't know if you have tomorrow. Today is the day. Let go. Be free. Now let's get into some of the doctrines that I think are dangerous and that we need to stop fighting about as as congregants, as believers, and we probably need to stop even preaching about if we don't really understand what we're saying. And I'll tell you what, this first one is a big one. And I'll tell you also what, I don't think a lot of pastors actually know what they're talking about when they teach on this. I've heard a lot of really good teachings regarding the end times (laughs) and a lot of really bad ones. And you know the bad ones when they never bring up the Old Testament, when they never bring up Genesis through Deuteronomy, you are getting something that is not whole and full and filled full of righteous meaning. You are probably getting something that is abolishing the meaning of the end times and revelation. In order to understand the symbolism and in order to understand what's going on with the end times, you have to understand the beginning. And I'll tell you, frankly, I know I don't even understand the beginning well enough to be able to fully teach uh, end time studies. And so what, what ends up happening 
is we get all these different teachings regarding the end times. And you might get one truth here, but then it's mixed in with a little bit of a lie or another truth here, but it's mixed in with something that isn't in the Bible. And we, each of us, I'm telling you, you sit down with any believer. We all have different beliefs about the end times. And it's fascinating discussion. It's great. But the problem is that this thing has devolved, not just into discussion, but into division, especially in regards to pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib rapture discussions. This has divided up and, and sliced up congregants and churches left and right. Guys, it's not worth it. This one's not worth it. And, and my reason for all of these that it's not worth it is going to be about the same. How is that belief changing how you live? today. It shouldn't be. If Yeshua is coming before the tribulation, if he's coming in the middle, or if he's coming at the end, it should not change your behavior. Today, God has called you to a moral life in alignment with his laws, to righteousness, and to love for others and love for him, no matter what time frame he is returning in. Now, I'll tell you, I my personal belief, you all probably know it. I think that, you know, Yeshua is going to return after the tribulation. I don't think there's any evidence scripturally for any other time frame. However, I refuse to be divided with brothers and sisters in Christ over this issue. It's not worth it. And if you find yourself in a lot of fights over end times issues before you are willing to divide yourself from a group of people over it, ask yourself this question. Does this belief change how I live and will it change how they live? Because I frankly am telling you, we need to be paying attention to righteousness and holiness and obedience and a walk with the Lord right now and, and understanding how to be obedient more than any other time I've been alive. If we do not understand obedience and love for God and his love for us right now, we are going to struggle in any hardships yet to come. If our relationship with the Lord isn't solid right now, we're going to struggle. And when we get caught up in useless arguments over certain doctrines, we are taking away from time where we could be doing the call of Christ, which is to teach others to obey all that he commanded. That's what you're called to. You're not called to perfect doctrine and prophecy. You are called to teach how to be obedient to the Lord. And if you have not learned yet what obedience looks like, then you have not yet learned what loving God looks like. This is clear in scripture. That's a teaching that will change your life, is it not? When we talk about the Sabbath, when we talk about giving to the poor, when we talk about the call of the church to take care of widows and orphans, when we talk about the feast days, these are activities. These are action-based items that will change what you do and will deepen your relationship with God. There's a life change. When you teach the obedience of Christ, when you teach it, it changes lives, right? I'm telling you, just the Sabbath alone, how many times have I said it? You guys who are not new to this podcast, you know, if you just start keeping the Sabbath, it will change your life. There will be immediate shifting that takes place. It will change your mental and emotional and physical and spiritual position. That's a teaching that's life-changing. Pre-trib rapture teaching, not as life-changing. It's interesting. It's fascinating. But it really shouldn't change how you live today. If God is telling you to prepare for something you believe is related to the end times, be obedient and do it. 
but don't go banging everybody else over the head about that preparation, right? Just do what God has called you to do. You can talk about it in love, but when you find yourself being divisive over an issue like that, I'm just telling you, it's not worth it. The second teaching I think that comes out of too many pulpits, I've heard it a lot lately. It's had a resurgence. And, you know, even I have dear friends who I love, who I know are believers, who believe this stuff. But it's a teaching that I think is kind of useless and we shouldn't be divided over it. And it's anything regarding Calvinism and especially the five points of Calvinism. I'm saying this because uh, there's a, a belief system in Calvinist doctrine that is called the doctrine of election. And it discusses this concept that you have no choice in the matter. God chose you from before all the world's world was created. God chose you to be saved. And it's not your choice. You didn't get a choice, basically, in the matter that the Holy Spirit will have you and you will be saved. And then there's a whole group of people that no matter what, from the very beginning, God chose them to be damned. Okay. I don't like this doctrine. I think it makes God into something that he's not. I think it's very related to mythological Greek gods, much more than it is related to anything we actually find in scripture. I think there are really deep and good teachings on the word for elect in scripture where, you know, the word elect does not mean what the Calvinist says it means. It actually just means choice. And it's used in lots of different uh, situations in regard to people making choices or God making choices. And so we also have a problem problem with who these writings are to regarding the doctrine of the elect. Are they about Christians at the time of Christ being chosen, about Jesus' disciples being chosen, because they certainly were specifically chosen for the task that they had? They weren't chosen to be the only ones saved, though. And what I, I have found in Scripture is the term elect has nothing to do with salvation and everything to do with being chosen for a specific task point in time or the nation of Israel being chosen as the nation through which God would teach who he is to the world. Okay, that's my understanding. Calvinist doctrine is getting taught in a lot of churches. And you know, listen, I can, I can handle it. I can listen to it. But upon further consideration, it only has room to do damage and not very much room to actually improve your life. So whether you believe you were chosen from the very foundations of the earth and you had no choice in the matter, which kind of destroys the definition of relationship. However, let's say you believe that. Or whether you believe that you chose to follow the Lord and and that he, he came after you, the Holy Spirit pricked your heart and you said yes, and you had a choice in the matter. Does it change your call or how you live today? No, it shouldn't change anything about what you actually do with your life. Should it change your belief about God's merciful nature and who he is? Well, it could. But in, in this particular case, teaching Calvinism only, in my opinion, only does damage to God's character. There's no benefit to understanding God's character through this view. In fact, if you listen to these teachings, they will just openly admit that there is no rhyme or reason by which mankind can understand this form of justice, that this is God's justice and there's no reasonability to it, according to mankind. When you ask why, the why is this was just what God was pleased to do. Well, this is incredibly 
confusing to any human being who understands just weights and measures. Any human being who looks at their children and understands the concept of mercy. And any human being who's creative. Because if you create something, you don't wish for it to be damned. And there's no pleasure that you take in human suffering. It's not pleasurable to you as a believer. It shouldn't be, at least. Anyone teaching this doctrine should be teaching it with a tear in their eye. Because we should have unbelievable mercy and grace for every human being that's walking the earth. And we should feel horrible that God would make some to go to hell, that he would wish that, that it would be his pleasure to do so. I don't find that the Bible teaches this, but to teach this doctrine only maligns God's character. There's no benefit whatsoever to this doctrine for God's character. And so I would say if this doctrine is causing division in your church or in your church community, take a step back. This is not something that needs to be preached. It doesn't help people get saved, and it doesn't teach them how to be obedient to the Lord. It does nothing for the believer. There's no output that is beneficial. I want to remind you guys that the Bible is all about activity. It's about action. It's an active language. Hebrew is an active language, and the Bible is about what you do. Not always about what you feel about what you do and not always about what you believe about what you do, but the Bible is about what you do. I fully believe that the end result of Calvinist doctrine is that you know without a doubt that the only reason you would ever go preach the gospel, because by the way, remember, everyone's already saved from the beginning of time and only those people get saved and it does not, you know, you have no choice in the matter. So logically... Do you have to evangelize for their benefit? The answer is no, right? Logically, you have to understand there's no benefit for others for your evangelical behavior. The only benefit would be to yourself to build your character. I got to be honest, for most people, logically, that isn't good enough. And this is why, again, I think this doctrine is not benefiting any congregations in regards to their evangelical work, in regards to their spreading of the gospel or spreading of the love of God to others. And it certainly takes away from the call of Christ, which is go and make disciples. You know, I, I think you could still teach people how to be obedient, right? Teach the saved how to be obedient. But should you even preach the gospel? Do you need to? God has already predestined those people to be saved. You don't. And see, God did give us brains. And we are supposed to use them. And we're logical beings. And we are supposed to use our reasonability and logic to understand the Bible. Otherwise, what other, by what other tool do you have to understand the Bible? Right? You have nothing but your ability to read and understand language and your ability to reason. You know, the Holy Spirit has granted you access to these things. And so by all reasonability and by all, all uh, logic, this particular doctrine just doesn't help anybody, and it should not be a divider. Now, I will say, because God is good and, and his people are good, the people I know who preach this doctrine and who really like this, we, we're not divided people. We love each other, and we get along, and we feel like we have the same tasks and goals, which is why I think it's so interesting. This doctrine has not changed my tasks or goals, and it has not changed their tasks or goals. So it's not something you should be fighting over. Please don't make this a core tenant of what you preach to other people, because it will, for many, it will lead them away from God. It will detract 
from them wanting to know this God because they won't be able to understand. They will think that he's unpredictable and unjust, and they would be right in making that critique, number one. And number two, you are going to disincentivize the people in your congregation to do the work that I believe God has called them to. Okay, so again, these doctrines, even if they are true, even if they're true, they're useless to the believer's lifestyle and dangerous to evangelistic efforts. And if they're not true, absolutely nothing changes, right? Nothing. So um, I, I just want us to stay away from the places where we're causing division in church for no reason. Now, there are other doctrines, like I said, that cause division in church for good reason, and we need that. But these ones, these ones we're talking about today, not necessary, not good reasons to let these things cause division in your community. Another big one, and this is big in the messianic community, and I have a huge problem with this. The, the debates over how to pronounce God's name properly. You guys, I have come across this debate so much, and we have got to stop. This is ridiculous. It has been enough. You know, I, I don't think God is offended that Christians call him Jesus and that I say Yeshua and that some people are going to say, no, it's Yahusha. And some people are saying, no, it's Yahushua. And you're not even putting this, you know, according to Douglas Hamp, you're not even putting the special thing at the end that you're supposed to put in the back of your throat when you say it. It's highly likely no one in the West is properly pronouncing the name of God, any of the names of God. Let's just be straight up. I mean, I have an American accent, I'm sure. When I'm speaking Hebrew, I'm probably nowhere near the correct name of God. Now, listen, I will give credit to this theory that we've discovered that there are frequencies in words, right? We've discovered there's frequencies in sounds. That everything is a frequency. And so when the Bible says there's power in the name, okay, okay, maybe there is actually this frequency power in the actual name of God. But who in the world on the planet Earth has access to that correct information now, right now? I don't know anybody. Nobody seems to have a reasonable or logical uh, uh, argument for their version of the correct pronunciation of the name. So I say Yeshua a lot because it's as close as I know how to get to what they were actually calling Christ or Yahusha, right? It's it's close. Er, it's closer than Jesus, and it's not a transliteration of the name. Am I saying it properly? I doubt it. And I know that my God knows when you're coming to him because it's more about your obedience to him and your relationship with him than whether or not you're pronouncing his name correctly. My sweet little children couldn't say my name properly when they were babies, right? But I always knew when they were talking to me. And I never turned them away because their pronunciation was wrong. This debate needs to end. And it is so divisive and ridiculous. And I see these debates online. And I understand why people get passionate about it. They're worried about offending God. Okay, I get that. I get it. But God is not so unlike us in this regard. We have families and parenting for a reason to teach us the character of God. As a parent, you know you're not going to turn your child away if they mispronounce your name. Do you really think God is less merciful and kind than you are? And if you do, then you need to kind of take a step back and wonder about that for a moment. He's not less merciful and kind than you. He loves his kids. 
And he loves those who are in relationship with him, who love him with all their hearts. And they might get his name wrong, but they certainly don't get his character wrong. And so please, messianics, it's an interesting discussion, but if you find that this is causing divisiveness or division, pull back. Life is too short. By the way, this particular issue, once again, is not going to change your obedience to the Lord. It's not going to change whether or not you keep the Sabbath. It's not going to change whether or not you love on your neighbors. It shouldn't change one stinking thing about your obedience to God. And so this is a useless piece of division that we can easily rid ourselves of by just saying, interesting conversation. I'd love to know how to really pronounce the name, but if I never get there, I know God still loves me anyways, and he loves you anyways too. And yes, he hears your prayers. Even if you're not calling him by the right name, he's hearing your prayers. He knows you, okay? If you are obedient to him and you are in Christ, he knows you, okay? Enough said. We don't need to keep doing that debate. And the last one for today, guys, life is too short for any man-made laws that you can't find in scripture. Life is too short to be divided over those. Uh, Stop telling people they can't have alcohol to drink. Listen, I wish in this culture we drank less alcohol. I really do. I don't think it's good for you. Obviously, it hurts your health. There's actually, scientifically speaking, there's no amount of alcohol that's good for you. They have discovered this. None. It's all detrimental in some way, shape, or form. But the Bible doesn't actually prohibit a glass of wine. It just doesn't. And so stop being divisive over that one. Stop being divisive over dancing. Okay. Yeah. You know where the line gets crossed. You're not an idiot. You know, dancing can be a wonderful expression. In fact, it can be part of worship. There are whole denominations who think you're not allowed to dance. I don't know what ways you are allowed to move, but you know where the line is. The Bible doesn't forbid dancing. In fact, David danced before the Lord in a way that was offensive to someone, in fact, right? And it was offensive to Michal. She was so disgusted by him. He was dancing. All right, so we listen, the man-made laws that we debate, the ones you can't find in the Bible, life's too short. It's not worth it. You do you in that regard. If you think you need to put that boundary up that's a closer boundary than what God put up for your own life, fine. Do it. That's your rule. But do not go and be divisive with other believers over that rule because that is not right. It's not good. And by the way, when you do that, you're adding to the laws of God, which is forbidden. You are forbidden to do this. It's not just that it's divisive. It's forbidden. And by the way, whether or not you dance or whether or not you had a glass of wine on Friday night, the only way it becomes sinful, the only way, right, is if it impedes your witness, your testimony, and your ministry. Yeah, don't sit down and drink alcohol with an alcoholic. Paul advises against this, right? Maybe not the best idea. You know, maybe you don't want to be tempting them because you could end up harming them. And the spirit of God's word is to bring life to people. And in that moment, you might be bringing death. God would probably not approve of that. But to go out and preach against things in totality that aren't actually in scripture, that is a violation of the laws of God. And it's divisive for no reason. So we we have a list today of things that life is too short for. I am sure there are a lot more. But I wanted to get you started on this because I think that we are possibly engaging in things. Listen, too much news intake that makes you depressed. Guys, life is too short, right? We could we could do a whole long list of things. But for the believer, we need to have our joy, the joy of our salvation. We need to have our testimony. We need to be 
teaching and preaching the gospel, the truth, the word of God, we need to be engaging in obedience and teaching others how to be obedient. There are main, keep the main thing, the main thing. There's so much God wants to do with your life, through your life, in your life. And when you get into these arguments and this divisiveness, instead of bringing unity and wholeness to God's people, what do we tend to do? We tend to push people away. We tend to do that harm. We tend to hurt people. Even when we are with the best of intentions, even when we're intending to, do, to teach the right things or do the right things, if we are divisive in nature about it, if we are dogmatic about things the Bible's not dogmatic about, we can end up doing damage. And the enemy uses this very well very well to take you off course, to get you involved in non-important debates, non-important doctrines, unimportant issues, to steal away your time from the really important work that God might have for you. So I hope this list has gotten you started. There might be some stuff in your life. You go, yeah, life's too short for this. I got to let go of this. I got to stop thinking this. I got to stop yelling at people about this. I'm going to stop debating people online about this one. I'm just going to stop worrying about this one. How about that? Stop worrying about it. Stop trying to wrap your head around all of it. Let's keep some of the main things. We need to get back to what does the Bible actually say and what is the call on our lives? Because sometimes we get so wrapped up in doctrine and arguments, we're not actually doing the work of God, right? Somebody in your church needs a meal. Somebody in your church needs a volunteer. But you're too wrapped up in arguing about doctrine to actually do any work. That's a big problem in churches. A lot of churches that are overly focused on theology and doctrine, which I'm involved in all of them, by the way, sometimes we forget We've got work to do. The Bible says, do not just be hearers of the word, be doers. If you're just hearers, you're actually missing it. So if all you're doing is taking in and debating doctrines, and those doctrines haven't changed how you live, take a step back. Whoops, I'm supposed to be a doer of the word. Maybe I need to be learning the parts of the word that cause me to be a doer. Maybe I need to get back to the laws of God so I can understand how to do And stop getting so involved with this Catholic kind of view that if you just know the right things, that that's obedience to God. No, Satan knows all the right things about the Lord, but he's rebellious, right? You don't have to know all the right things about the Lord. Just be humble and obedient, right? Yes, we want to know God because we love him. But debating doctrine is not the high calling of your life. The high calling of your life is to go and obey and teach obedience. And so let's get back to the main thing. Let's inspire other believers to get back to the main thing. Let's stop causing division and let's find every cause for unity so that we can have the conversations about the good doctrine that will help us become better givers, lovers of the world that God has created, the people he's put in our lives and of himself. Listen, I know that I offended everyone in my circle just now. I offended all the people I go to church with at at any Messianic or regular mainstream congregation. Most likely I offended you in some specific place. Um, Don't be offended. Know my heart. My heart is that instead of us being offended at one another and causing division, I'm okay with disagreeing with you about some of this stuff. That's okay. Let's not spend any more time on those disagreements. Let's talk about how to follow God. Let's do it together. What do you need? Do you need prayer? Do you need a meal? 
Do you need um, a better doctor, a better physician? Do you need uh, finances? Are you struggling financially? Do you need a car? Do you need, what do you need? This, these are the questions I think the early church was asking. How do we take care of each other better? How do we love God well? What if we did that instead of constantly walking around being offended that everyone doesn't think the way we think? Constantly, you know, degrading God's character by dragging his name through the mud while we yell at people about how awful they are. Excuse me, (laughs) maybe it's time for us to take a good look internally and just face the fact we don't know everything there is to know about God, but we certainly know our call on the earth is to learn how to obey him. And his obedience to the Lord is simple. We have tens of thousands of laws on the book in just the state of Colorado alone. God has 613 negative and positive commands that are pretty simple. When we understand the spirit behind them, when we understand which ones we can do and should be doing now, boy, do we start loving people better. Boy, do we start seeing the world differently. Boy, do we start caretaking better. I'm telling you, it is life-changing to learn obedience to the Lord and not to get caught up in whether we say the name right or whether or not, you know, we're predestined for everything we're doing. These things are not helpful. What is helpful is go and do. And so I just want to refocus. I want to refocus us. I think learning how to love and give is going to give us those communities that we're going to need in hard times. And having a deep relationship with the Lord based on his character and his goodness is going to sustain us when the world challenges us in the hardest places. I want you to know that. I want you to know that feeling, that understanding, and I hope to know it as well. So listen, if I offended you, God bless you today. <laughs> I am not trying to offend. I'm trying to challenge. And uh, I, I kid you not, I will be going and challenging myself in these areas as well, making sure that um, I am not being divisive with others and that I am what ready and willing to keep the peace in all the congregations in which I do work and participate because there are people there who really need my love and I really need theirs. And so, uh, that's the call. That's the work. That's what God has put before me. Nothing else. I can bang people over the head about doctrine all day long and never bring one person into the knowledge of relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Or I can say, yeah, God has detailed and laid out sins, and they have nothing to do with a lot of the doctrines we we debate. Let's get back to the main thing. <laughs> all right. I hope you all have a really wonderful and blessed week, and I hope that you take this and are inspired to find your next act of obedience um, in regards to your relationship with the Lord. I'll be back later this week. Till next time.